0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener
1: supported.
2: Community Radio from South Central Indiana.
3: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
4: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, June 24th, 2020.
3: Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz has part two of his series on renaming buildings at Indiana University. He speaks with IU spokesperson Chuck Carney and activist Megan Campbell in today's feature report.
4: Also coming up in the next half hour, your weekly consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware, hosted by Richard Fish. But first, your local headlines. The Bloomington Board of Public Safety discussed Bloomington Police Department statistics, training, and general business during their June 23rd meeting. Bloomington Police Deputy Chief Joe Qualter said BPD saw a decline in calls for service for May compared to 2019. However, he said weapon-related calls are up.
0: Uh, We do have uh, an ongoing concern about weapons-related calls um, and um, it shows an increase of 200, percent, uh, but they basically went from uh, two to six. So, but we do, and I think we mentioned this at perhaps the um, maybe the January meeting or February meeting when we were at uh, last able to gather uh, in person. And I think at that point we expressed concerns about uh, the increase in weapons-related calls, and that that um, concern continues.
4: Qualter said a call for service includes both calls from pedestrians to the police and a case initiated by an officer to be called into dispatch. Board member Marquise Reese asked Qualter how dispatch knows when to alert social workers versus an armed police officer. Would the dispatcher know to alert um, the social worker
1: versus an armed police officer for sure. a phone call?
0: So there's a variety of ways in which those can be routed to the appropriate person uh, if it should not be um, a, a sworn police officer. Sometimes it's the uh, the downtown resource officers. Uh, sometimes they come in contact with someone who they realize might uh, benefit from the services of the social worker, um, or they may uh, work on it jointly. Uh, sometimes there are um, direct referrals to the social worker. Someone may have heard that we have one and will call in um, asking specifically for Melissa. Okay. Um, the uniform officers uh, may get to a, a call for service, if you will, and realize that um, you know maybe there are some services that the social worker can um, either provide or network with other social service agencies in the community and try to get those individuals, you know, hooked up with the appropriate service.
4: BPD Chief Mike DeKoff said BPD was one of the first Indiana police departments to hire a full-time social worker and use body cameras on every officer. He said BPD officers receive more than the required training.
5: Our officers receive about four and a half times the amount of required training that the state of Indiana requires. Um, We we go above and beyond in our training, and we do a lot of training on de-escalation, on on a bias training, on critical incident training, dealing with people who are in mental crisis. Um, A lot of our training, our firearms training, our driving training, our defensive tactics training, all have elements of de-escalation training when we do those. So uh, we constantly are striving to make sure that our officers are properly trained, that they get the most up-to-date. Training that they can get um, and we have we have maintained those high levels of training uh, year after year
4: Decoff said the BPD policy was changed to clearly state all policies from eight can't wait he said the BPD are involved in many community aspects due to a lack of funding
5: um, look at some of the discussions around the country about defunding the police they're talking about the police not um, uh, having interactions with people who might be experiencing homelessness or people who uh, might have some kind of mental health issue. Um, you know, what has happened is those types of calls with with funding being cut everywhere, they've just kind of defaulted to police departments. And so uh, because that has been the case here locally also, uh, you know, we saw the need to create specialty units to, to um. To respond to those type of calls so uh six or seven years ago we started the downtown resource officer program because the the increase in the number of calls that we were having with people experiencing homelessness and people who were experiencing experiencing mental crisis uh, we we needed a specialized unit to deal with that we added the social worker as another component of that um, so those are the types of things that we have responded to we, we've added neighborhood resource specialists because. Um, A lot of the calls that we get aren't really police officer type calls, so we still get them. So we created a a kind of a non-sworn position to do that.
4: Decoff said the Stride Coalition provides a place for officers to take individuals with mental health or substance issues rather than jail. Vice President of Adult Services at Centerstone, Linda Grove-Paul, said BPD does not want to criminalize substance abuse and mental health issues.
1: Um, Some of the resources we're talking about is there's no place for a person with a mental health issue or substance issue that's in a crisis to go. So how do we begin to start working on that safety net? You know, other parts are... You know, we need to ensure that we have housing, we have um, jobs, employment, Uh, we have a great partnership with the city where we have an employment first, we're working with the parks and rec department to employ people who are homeless. Um, and jobs picking up the trash. We've got a crew that's working um, with the landscaping, another crew that works on the golf course. These are people who you've heard of. Housing first. These are people who are homeless, who have their first job, and they're going out and they're they're cleaning up, and they're really, I think, helping other people in the community get engaged. So I'm very proud. Pl- proud to be a resident of Bloomington, and I really hope that people can see that there are a lot of good things that are happening, not that there's not room for improvement, but I really appreciate uh, the partnership that we have with, uh, with the police department.
4: Centerstone employee Tammy Jaya said Centerstone and BPD have a very well-working and important partnership.
3: Indiana Department of Workforce recently released its May 2020 unemployment numbers. It found unemployment numbers are decreasing, likely due to increased reopening measures in the state. Monroe County's unemployment rate marked 7.8 percent, several points lower than the state's non-seasonal adjusted rate, which stands at 11.9 percent. That means Monroe County ranked the seventh best in the state. Monroe County saw a 10.1% jobless rate in April. May's numbers show a decline in unemployment in the county. The unemployment rate for Brown County was 12.5% in May, slightly higher than the state rate. In April, Brown County's jobless rate was just 16.2%, according to the county's rankings for that month. The state unemployment rate was 3.5% in March, and then after the lockdown, the state saw a spike to 16.9% in April. In the report for May, the state seasonal adjusted rate stood at just 12.3%. Howard County saw the highest unemployment rate at 21.8%. Meanwhile, Davies County saw the lowest jobless jobless rate at 5.6%. As for the statistics in metropolitan areas, Indiana Department of Workforce Development said there were a total of 6,320 people unemployed in the Bloomington area. Altogether, that means the Bloomington metropolitan area saw a 7.9% unemployment rate. In April, it was 10.3%. According to the MSA report, the Bloomington area saw 1,375 new jobs as compared to April's numbers. However, in may twenty nineteen. However, in may twenty nineteen, Bloomington's jobless rate was down to just three point one percent, with twenty four hundred fifty six people unemployed. The june twenty twenty unemployment report will be released at ten AM on Friday, july seventeenth. The june twenty twenty Indiana County, City and MSA Unemployment Report will be released at noon on Monday, july twentieth, twenty twenty.
4: Ellettsville Town Council discussed a walkway project to construct pathway connections to Campbell's Park baseball fields. Ellettsville Town Manager Mike Farmer represented petitioner Marty Stevens and said Stevens has already done redevelopment work in the area.
2: Uh, currently, uh, he has um, taken the old um, turtleback swimming pool, he, he purchased that, made a parking lot out of it, put in quite a bit of uh, uh, landscaping improved across the street, uh, took out a uh, cesspool type area and, and improved, improved the uh, aesthetics of it. And he wants to build a walkway from that parking lot that would allow people uh, from uh, three different um, subdivisions and people that utilize the parking area to um, be able to access the ball fields.
4: Farmer said the trails would offer travel by walk and bike opposed to driving to the park. He said the town parks department supports projects like this one, but cannot afford them alone. He said the surface is not yet determined. He said the trail could have further extensions.
2: Eventually, I think this path will become part of a trail that goes all the way back to the Stewart property. Um, and we, we, we think Marty will be able to help us with that. And then it'll interconnect with the trail that goes back to Bloomington that the county has built and uh, interconnect with the Heritage Trail as well. So it'll, it, 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 to me, it'll probably be the first walk path from subdivisions back into town, which, you know, our grand scheme, grand plan, I should say is to um, um, interconnect all the subdivisions in and around Ellensville with walking and biking paths.
4: Councilmember Scott Oldham suggested paving the trail for ease on wheelchairs and walkers. Council members approved the walkway project with a provision for further approval to be granted if the cost exceeds $2,500.
3: Indiana State Department of Health reported 281 new cases of COVID-19, with nine new deaths from the virus. This comes after about 5,550 new tests were issued. That brings the state total to over 43,000 people who tested positive with over 2,300 people who have died from the coronavirus. So far, the state has issued over 430,000 total tests. 10% of total tests came back positive
4: Utilities engineer Phil Peden proposed a gravity sewer line installation under the railroad north of Park Ridge East to the Bloomington Utility Service Board. During the June 22nd meeting, he said the gravity sewer would replace an old lift station.
5: We have an old lift station there. It has a lot of deficiencies and it was going to be fairly expensive to make those improvements to upgrade that lift station. It's been a goal of ours to eliminate lift stations when we can. Provide gravity sewer.
4: Peden said the project is not to exceed approximately $72,000. He said multiple contractors will be working on the project.
5: ISI is the contractor for this part of the work uh, where we're going to do the bore under the railroad, and CBU T&D crews will be laying the gravity sewer at each end, tying it in from the gravity uh, sewer upstream and downstream.
4: Peden said work will only have a substantial effect on two properties. He said both property owners have been contacted. Board members unanimously approved the installation.
6: At around 12.45 p.m., there were over 9,000 residents who experienced power outages in the Bloomington area, according to Duke Energy. According to Duke Energy's power outage details, there was one customer without power. The estimated time of restoration is tonight at 6.30 p.m. The cause was listed at 4.16 p.m., as no data available. Although earlier today, Duke Energy reported a power outage in Bloomington in areas south of 3rd Street and west of Rogers Street. At about 1 p.m., Duke Energy estimated restoration time at 4 p.m. An email was issued to Duke customers citing that an animal on the line caused one of the outages.
4: Indiana Department of Natural Resources announced the dates and deadlines for public hearings and public comment opportunities on fish and wildlife rule changes in Indiana. The Natural Resources Commission will review all public comments before voting on any final adoptions to be determined later this year. According to the press release, some of the proposed changes are, quote, adding species such as the ruffed grouse and cisco to the Indiana's endangered species list. Establishing new size and bag limits for Saigo on the Ohio River and allowing air guns during deer firearm hunting season, quote. Amendments have been categorized in the topics of fish, wildlife, and permits. The public hearings will take place on Wednesday, July 29th at 6 p.m. in Mound State Park in the Nature Center. Also, Thursday, July 30th at McCormick's Creek State Park in the Sycamore Room. There is also an option to submit public comment online or through mail addressed to the Natural Resources Commission in Indianapolis. The deadline for public comment is July 30th at 1159 p.m. For more information, go to the IDEM webpage. In the fourth installment of our series on the Bloomington Hospital relocation, our correspondent Aaron Comforty spoke with Ricky Truvia about his views on the importance of the hospital's central location.
7: For the fourth installment in our series on the Bloomington Hospital relocation, I spoke with Ricky Truvia. He's an almost 20-year resident of Bloomington and lives across the street from the hospital. He also spends time at the Backstreet Mission, a non-denominational Christian social services organization. He's a tall and slim man with dark blue eyes and a friendly smile. Almost every day, rain or shine, Ricky walks past the hospital to and from work. When I asked him what he thought about the hospital's relocation, he told me that with so many elderly people living near it, he was concerned the relocation would prevent them from getting the care they depend on.
8: I would say it's heartbreaking that the hospital is moving from here because it's really needed where it's at, right there. I guess they don't realize how many people they'll be hurting or making it more difficult you know, for medical attention.
7: When I told Ricky that Deputy Mayor Rennheisen said that the hospital is definitely going to be knocked down and that IU Health had forbidden any continued use of the building for health services, Ricky told me he hoped that at least some kind of clinic could take its place because just last week, he walked into the hospital to get treated for an injury on his foot. He rolled up his pant cuff, took off his shoe, and showed me a painful sore on his toe. He winced in pain as he put his shoe back on.
8: The hospital gave me what I needed, brother. Keep going. See that day? It's tender. And I work every day. I got some pills I'm taking for it, some cream I put on it. <sighs> Right now, brother, I have, um, doctors say I have brain trauma. And, and, and it's difficult, bro for me. You know, every day, man, it's difficult. Day and night, bro I struggle with my mind. And I rely on God, the Lord, to just Bring a healing touch to me, bro.
7: With all of the difficulties Ricky is facing, I asked him why he's stayed in Bloomington for so many years. He alluded to a sense of acceptance and safety that he's felt here. It's something that's helped him avoid the dangers he's faced in bigger cities he's previously lived in.
8: I thought it was like heaven. You know, the people attitude, you know, especially the white people, man. I thought it, I was in heaven. Mm. You know, beautiful people here in Bloomington. I know they're all over the states, all over the world, but this place, I I consider my home, Bloomington. It's a beautiful place and beautiful people. Mm.
7: As Ricky noted, Bloomington is often thought of as a racially tolerant and accepting city. But with the hospital set to move away from the historically black side of town, the national conversation about public health and race at Boiling Point and prominent local controversies about racism at the city's farmer's market, the Bloomington Hospital relocation is coming under increased scrutiny. To see a picture of Ricky on his walk home from work, check out wfhb.org and our social media pages. For the Daily Local News, I'm Aaron Comforti.
3: Now it's time for your feature reports. Up first, WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz has part two on his feature about Indiana University's decision to rename the Aura-Wildermuth Intramural Center. Braden Lentz spoke with Chuck Carney, spokesperson at IU. He also talked to Megan Campbell, an activist and graduate student.
0: When trying to report on issues at IU, Campbell explained in the Change.com petition that IU has failed to report such issues coming from color.
9: I mean, obviously, like no disrespect to President McRobbie, but I do think that a lot of what I use has been doing recently in terms of the statements it has been releasing have been very performative in the sense that they're recognizing Mm -hmm. that all of these people are outraged with everything that's happened, and they're just trying to show that they are sort of on the right side of the argument. But there hasn't really been any tangible action thus far because the movement to rename the intramural center happened way before this unrest began throughout the united states yeah and i think that if they truly do want to show respect for not only students of color but all students it should be that they again do sort of that historical review of every monument building, even professor who may or may not currently be hired, take the proper measures in order to ensure that if someone is sort of threatening the values of the university or showing disrespect to various types of students, whether it be students of color with the name of Dor- J- David Sar Jordan or women with Valentine Hall, that they take appropriate measures to sort of correct that. And obviously mm-hmm. for such a large institution with multiple campuses across the state, that is a very big undertaking. But I think that if IU truly does want to display that they are allies for their students of color, their female students, their LGBT students, that, that's something that they have to end up doing.
0: When asked if IU is a racing history, Carney and Campbell agree getting rid of monuments, will never erase history.
10: Uh, no. I, I mean, David Starr Jordan is the name that's first and forth, uh, foremost when we start talking about renaming things now after the Wildermuth Center. That one is, was brought up specifically by President McRobbie. We cannot erase that he was a part of IU's history. Uh, and much like the debate going on right now about Confederate statues around the South and elsewhere, they're not just in the South, and those coming down, you can't erase that period in the 1860s in which we were embroiled in a civil war and a war that was centered around slavery as a primary issue. That doesn't go away. But there is a, an argument to be made, and this is the discussion that's going on right now, is whether you should continue to celebrate people who stood for those ideals. Is it proper to have a, a statue in the case of the Confederacy? Uh, That lifts someone literally onto a pedestal who stood for things that we shouldn't stand for now. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're considering now is whether or not we're continuing to say, well, this was okay. Those beliefs were okay. Even though this might be somebody who was a key part of Indiana University in the past. I'll go back to the renaming of the Intramural Center, Oral Wildermuth. Who the building was named after for starting in the 1970s, I think, uh, and that carried that name for some time. He was a very big part of a lot of things that happened at Indiana University as a trustee. So we can't erase what he did in that part, but you have to consider the picture as a whole. There are a lot of other things to think about. And that's what we are called to do. A, A great university should examine what its history is and address the places where it's fallen short.
9: So I was actually a history major at IU. And in my opinion, I don't think that removing statues, renaming buildings really takes away from history. Um, In the sense that, I mean, I've never learned anything by looking at a Confederate monument, everything I learned about the U.S. Civil War was in textbooks or in et cetera. I do think that should the university choose to rename the building, I do think that a some form of acknowledgement of what the building used to be named and why they decided to change it would be nice. Um, but I don't see how the removal of names from buildings or monuments really harms things in the long run if anything i i guess i don't see how what is the name of a racist being on a building bringing to the university how is that enhancing the university in any way and the fact yeah. is that it's not again students of color are having to like sit in a biology lecture named for a man who thought that they were racially inferior or mm-hmm. women sitting in a lecture in Valentine Hall, type of thing. So I don't think that it erases history, but I do think that whether it be in the statement they release or in some sort of plaque or other sort of commemorative thing within the building, acknowledging mm-hmm. that history is important.
0: The change.com petition has racked up 40,000 signatures and counting. For Campbell and Carney, they are both confident in McRobbie's decision to make sure all students and peers at IU are feeling safe regardless of race.
10: Uh, Well, I think IU is here to provide positive changes in the future. We hope that every student who comes here is changed and that they come here to learn and engage uh, and that everybody who steps on this campus steps away with some things that they didn't know before you know, I can speak just as somebody who's been around higher education for the better part of 25 years. And one of the reasons I've been here for 20 years is just because of what IU does as an institution to bring light to difficult issues and address the tough topics and bring in speakers who challenge your mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are so many discussions that are going to be had and need to be had Uh, across the university. And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to not feel like we're okay just as things are. That's not how a university works. We are supposed to challenge thinking. And so we should be creating positive change moving forward. And I know that our students will because that's how we do that.
9: President McRobbie did issue the statement that the Board of Trustees was sort of making a review of all of the buildings and monuments on campus after this petition started to gain traction. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's a direct result, I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that my friend, Kai Freeman, who's the president of Black Student Union on IU Bloomington's campus, he took my petition and the name of several other buildings and monuments around the various IU campuses. And actually, I think it was on Tuesday, I had a meeting with the overall like head of buildings for IU and just sort of discuss why he and like Black Student Union and various other like friends of Indiana University thought that the specific building names should be changed. And so obviously I'm hopeful that in the near future the university will decide to change the name. We'll see if that ends up happening. But I think that with the sort of momentum that the Black Lives Matter movement and all these other sort of civil rights things that are occurring right now are gaining, that mm-hmm. that'll probably end up being what happened. But again, we'll just have to wait and see.
6: For WFHB, I am Braden Lutz. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines are written by Aaron Comforti, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Braden Lentz.
4: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
3: And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as all other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org.
4: You too can be a part of our award-winning news program. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
3: Stay tuned for Cool Solutions. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.